listening to Entertainment Landfill. Film, television, pop culture. It's where you find it. Hello? Hello, Dad. This is Jason. Yeah. So, Terminator is great. Well, I have seen the film, actually. What did you think? I I thought it was a lot of fun. I, okay, let me preface it like this. Terminator and Terminator 2 are two of my favorite movies of all time. Right. This film could either really suck and be awful, or it could entertain me. It, it couldn't possibly be on the level of Terminator and Terminator 2 on my inner shelf of favorite movies, right? But... You know, I just, I sat there and watched the movie, movie, show me what you got kind of thing. And I, I was amused by the little callbacks to the original Terminator. Yeah. And, uh, I thought it was entertaining when it was over. I was like, Hey, that was a lot of fun and stuff, but you know, was it as good as the first two movies? Of course not, but it was fun, you know? I thought that what they did with Arnold Schwarzenegger was genius. Yeah, it really was. I mean, I, I was worried about him the whole film. I mean, I, he was the one I was worried about. Pops. Pops, yes. So basically, in the uh, film, uh, the Terminator came back when Sarah... He, he goes back in time, sent back in time, to raise Sarah Connor when she's a little girl. Because apparently yeah. Skynet said a T-1000 way back then. Yeah. And um, so Arnold, I mean, not Arnold, the T-1000, I mean, the T, the ter- Arnold, the Terminator, <laughs> he, he raises her and she calls him Pops, like her grandfather. And so now in 1984, when Kyle Reese goes back, uh, Sarah Connor isn't clueless she's totally been prepared and she's a badass and our uh terminator looks old <laughs> you know he's aged because he has living tissue on the outside of his endoskeleton right. so naturally he would age like a, a human being would that's brilliant that's yeah. a brilliant idea it is a smart idea yeah and it you know when he uh goes back and we encounter the t-1000 it reminds yeah. you of just how much fun the T-1000 as a concept is. Yes, yes. It really is a genius idea, the liquid metal. And do you remember how that James Cameron had to invent the software to make that? Yes, yes, yes. The The precursor to T-1000 was the water creature in uh, the in Abyss. The, the Abyss. In the Abyss. Yeah, it uh, changed everything, and... Uh, uh, they've perfected it now, haven't they? <laughs> yes, they have. You know what's funny? As many times as I've seen Terminator 2 Judgment Day, the one thing that doesn't hold up very well, it's not the digital effects, it's the practical effects call so much attention to themselves. Uh, yeah. Especially the, I mean, God rest Stan Winston's soul, but when they cut to Arnold walking down the hallway... And he's yeah. getting shot in the face, and then they cut to the puppet Arnold. It yeah. just screams phony, you know. Yeah, it yeah. has it has a lot of character, but it just screams phony. But the effects in this film were uh, really good. They were. I thought the uh, the use of 3D was great. I like the storyline. 
Uh, I like the emotional ending, too. I thought they did a, a really good job of a showdown. That was a good showdown. There was a major plot hole that kept bothering me during the film, though. Okay. I kept thinking about it and how um, it really bothered me when I, when I, I thought of it during the movie, actually. Uh, in the original Terminator, uh, Kyle Reese goes back in time and he saves Sarah from the Terminator, right? At the same time, yeah. he falls in love with her. Or, or he's been... He's carried a torch for her his whole life staring at her picture in the future. So yeah. so when he comes back in time, it's not hard for him to fall in love with her. But, you know, at first Sarah doesn't trust him. She doesn't know if he's insane. But slowly she falls for him, right? And then they have a yeah. night of passionate love. And then he dies and that's it. It turns out she's pregnant with John Connor, uh, the savior of the future after that, right? Right. Right. In this film, he goes back in time. He encounters Sarah and the Terminator, and she knows everything already, so they don't really have a romance. Well, in the timeline, in the original, it's 1984. He gets her pregnant. And this film, they time travel to the year 2017. He still hasn't gotten her pregnant. So when they arrive, John Connor is there from the future. But I'm like, he shouldn't exist. He didn't sleep with her yet and make her pregnant. Well, wait, wait, wait. But you're forgetting that every time they split a timeline, you're in a different multiverse. Right. With, so, with different branches, different contingencies, different causes and effects. Okay. And it, it, I, I grant you, it's hard to keep, keep up with all of those. But yeah. remember that when we end this movie... That universe, she has choice. So if yes. he had already had sex with her, she none of that would have happened. Right. Yeah, I, you will admit it, it will hurt your brain thinking about it, though. Oh, of course. Absolutely. Did you ever <laughs> see the, the movie Primer, P-R-I-M-E-R? No. All right. It's the best time travel movie ever made because it's made by a physicist. Uh, and... He spent years working it out, and he, he figured out the timelines. I think it was about 9 or 10 deep. And you have to stop the movie every once in a while and go on Wikipedia, and you can they, they've got a graph on there for you so that you can find out where you are, and then you go back into it. But it's absolutely brilliant. But each time you change the timeline, you get a different – it's a different universe. Different causes and effects. So is the John Connor who is visiting from the future, you know, he comes back in time to 2017. Has he crossed over into their dimension, basically? Yeah, the, the, the Sarah Connor he went back to meet is a different Sarah Connor. She's the one raised by Pops. Right. The one in the original Terminator was not that Sarah Connor. Yeah, so it's basically they kind of rebooted it like the new Star Trek in a way. They made it a different timeline so people yeah. didn't have to be pissed. Like That's all, right. All of those adventures of the original Star Trek crew are there because they're in an alternate dimension, kind of. That's right. And uh, it's like, think of it this way. Everything that can happen will happen. Okay. 
That, that means infinite possibilities, infinite branches. And when you step from one universe to the next universe, it's like you're in your car and you can go left or right. You go left, all right? In, in an alternate universe, you went right. In another universe, you went straight. In another universe, you were hit by a car the day before, and so on and so on. Every possibility that can happen will happen. Okay. So that's, that's the, the current theory among scientists about the multiverse. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's mind-boggling. So, so if you fail in one universe, you might succeed in another. <laughs> Think of it as reincarnation without being reincarnated. So it's like even though, say, you're dead in one yes. timeline, you're still alive in others. That's right. So, uh, you know, we're getting in fringe territory, too, here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All, everybody, all, all the writers now, especially J.J. Abrams. They tap love, into the, the multiverse theory. They love alternate timelines. Oh, it, it solves every problem. Mm-hmm. Let's just go to an alternate timeline. But like Looper. You watch Looper, right? Yeah. Yeah, they <laughs> had clever use of time travel in there where you could hurt yourself and the past self would feel it. Yeah. Remember that creepy moment where they have the future version and they want the younger version, so they start removing his... No, they have the younger version and they want the older version, so they start removing his limbs. Yes. Wasn't that creepy? <laughs> yeah. Very creepy. But, uh, okay, get back to uh, Terminator Genesis. Yeah. I thought it was clever that they made Skynet basically, basically an operating system. Yeah. Which, which totally makes sense. Basically, Skynet is Apple, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So James Cameron was way ahead of his time in predicting this. You mean where there's one system? Well, should, won't there... See, in reality, there wouldn't be Skynet only. There would be the competitor also. The Google. <laughs> well, well, no. Uh, but, okay, Terminator 2 Genesis... Uh, tell me your favorite parts of the film. Wow, there were so many. Did you uh, almost almost everything involving Arnold Schwarzenegger? I just it? think he is hit his peak. I mean, yeah. he's 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 really good in that role. He was great. It was great to see him as the Terminator again. I do not. Yeah. I I agree with you totally on that. Um, the the girl they got to play Sarah Connor. Was a little tiny, wasn't she? <laughs> yes, she was. But of course, it's a different Sarah Connor. Yeah, timeline timeline wise. Well, it's a different Sarah Connor because it's they can't have Linda Hamilton now because she's older. But yeah. Uh, also, Linda Linda Hamilton, in, in my opinion, is a better actress. And the guy who played Kyle Reese, uh, Michael Bain, uh-huh. uh, he was he was a better actor. Yes. And I think that's the major difference. Yes, is yes. That you I was, had two much better actors in, in I was, Cameron's movie. I was imagining this film with those original actors, and it kind of made me smile. That would have been fun, you know? Yes. Uh, but, you know, of course, I know it's not possible unless you CGI their performances or something. That's right. That's uh, right. But, but I did like the T-1000, the Oriental, I mean, sorry, the Asian guy. Yes. <laughs> 
Yes, the Asian actor. He was actually Storm Shadow in the G.I. Joe films. So the guy, oh. you know, he's very physical and martial arts and all that stuff. So yeah. he was good casting because he was menacing just upon appearance. And he copied what, uh, what's his name did? Robert, in the, in the, Robert Patrick, yes. Yes, he copied Robert Patrick. Yes, he did. Because if you notice, I've seen Terminator 2, I'm not kidding, one million times, okay? I've seen right. the film too many times where I've ruined it for myself. I've just seen it too many times, okay? But one thing oh. I can tell you, you know, because I can tear the film apart now, is that when Robert Patrick is on screen, these, the T-1000, he owns it. Okay. Yes, he does. He when, does. He's when, perfect in that role. Whenever another actor is the T-1000, because, you know, he's in their form, so another yeah. actor is playing him, they're terrible. Yes. They're absolutely terrible. Whenever he's the guard or he's the uh, the foster mom of John Connor right. or whatever, right. they're terrible as the T-1000. They act very robotic or whatever. Uh, they should have followed around Robert Patrick for a week or something. I don't know what they did, but whenever he's a T-1000 perfect, whenever somebody else is, terrible. That's one thing yeah. I've learned from seeing the film multiple times. <laughs> so it was great seeing this actor uh, be the T-1000. He was a, he did yes, a great job. I mean, he nailed it. He, he was Robert Patrick. Mm-hmm. The T-1000. Uh, also, I thought it was hilarious that they reenacted the scene from the observatory from the first film. Yeah, guys. Yes. Like, Wash day tomorrow. Nothing clean, you know. Because <laughs> remember, Bill Paxton was one of the punks there. I know. I was. I was thinking, why couldn't they have put Bill Paxton there? Oh, it would have been so funny. But the CGI Arnold was hilarious. I thought. Yes, he was. It kind but of you really- know what? It, it must be. It, it must really hurt. Arnold Schwarzenegger to look up there and see what he used to look like. <laughs> Hopefully, you know he's had open heart surgery. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, one thing it also it reminded me of CGI Jeff Bridges from the Tron sequel. Yeah, Tron yeah. Leg- Legacy. Yeah, it just looks weird, uncanny valley, but still, that's it, right. It's it's entertaining. Also, they did a they did something they weren't able to do before, and the, at least in the James Cameron films, is they had the endoskeleton, the you know the robot part of the Terminator coming after Kyle Reese when it's reaching through the floor and it's stabbing through and he's ducking yeah, it. Yeah, they made that yeah. pretty menacing, and that was fun. It kind of yeah, well, that was like a callback they, to the first film. They really had some great action sequences. They really did. Yeah, the ridiculous bus chase where it flips over. <laughs> yeah, they really flipped the bus, too. Oh, and how about this? What did you think of the J.K. Simmons role? Yeah, I mean, that was, that was totally unexpected. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting because, you know, he just came off an Academy Award. And what, it yeah. always times that way, doesn't it, where an actor makes some kind of indie movie, they win an Academy Award, and their next film is some big blockbuster sci-fi Yeah, that's film. right. And uh, his role, while very small, was very entertaining. He steals the movie whenever he's on screen. Yes, he does. Well, you know, he's been making those commercials. I think they're... What is it, an insurance commercial? Yeah, We Are Farmers, bomb, 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 bomb. That's right. And he's also the yellow M&M in those commercials. That's right. <laughs> Did you ever see Drumline? 
uh, Whiplash? Is that what it is? No. Yes. Yeah, Whiplash. That's right. Drumline's an older film about people and uh, things. So what did you think of Whiplash? I mean, I don't. I want to uh, stick on the Terminator subject, but did you like it? Oh, yeah. I, I liked everything about it. Great. Okay. Now, I always have to ask you this question about Terminator or about film, you know, in general. How, yeah. I know Brad Fidel did not do the music to this film. That's right. Was, how did you, what did you think of the soundtrack in this film? Well, I was listening to it, and uh, here's what I said to myself. Okay, now, the only thing I ever liked that Brad Fidel did <coughs> was the Terminator theme. And I thought his score to Terminator was really good. <laughs> and I thought, uh, this guy, who's, who's a protege of Hans Zimmer, I thought he did okay. Another Hans Zimmer protege? Yes, he's a Hans Zimmer protege. How many friggin' uh, proteges does this guy have? He's, he's taking over the world. He's the musical kind yet. Yeah, he is. I'm trying to find online who did the music. I mean, it's you can't go wrong with just playing the bum 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 bum. Dun, dun, exactly. Dun, dun, dun. His name was Lorne Balf. Lorne Balf. <laughs> yeah. If that's he's, a, a, he's another German or Austrian. Lorne Balf. That's a name that you will forget and never remember. By the way. <laughs> I'll just think of it as the Japanese version of Barf. There, at least it's not Junky XL though. Yeah, or uh, McG. Music by McG. One thing I want to ask you this. Had you seen any trailers to this film before you saw it? Uh, yeah. The I, I'm wondering if you saw the teaser trailer or the most recent trailer. Uh, probably the teaser. Because I want to tell you this. The trailer totally spoils that John Connor is a Terminator in the trail movie trailer. How stupid. They spoil it even in the TV commercials. Because uh Heather I remember Heather was like, Are we gonna go see the new Terminator? And I said, Yeah, I guess so. And she goes, It looks like John Connor's a bad guy. And I was like, What? He is not. He's a savior of the future. <laughs> she goes, Well come look at this commercial and I saw it and it shows he's a bad guy. And I was like, Why did they just show us that? And Alan um, Taylor, who directed the film, he's, I don't know if you know his name, Alan Taylor. He's a guy who came up in television. He directed a lot of Game of Thrones, a lot of Sopranos. He directed Mad Men episodes, Rome, okay. Deadwood. Okay. So he came from HBO, basically. And he's a journeyman director. His other big, his first theatrical film was Thor: The Dark World, and now this Terminator Genesis. So he, um, at least that's what I believe. I could be wrong. Um, he said, someone asked him, "Why did you give away uh, John Connor in the trailer?" And he said, "I did not cut that trailer. Just so you know, I did not give it away. I didn't understand why you would give that away because I shot the film as if it's a surprise." <laughs> Yes. He said, yes. the way the sh film is edited, you do not know until it's revealed. But a nervous studio 
doesn't want to give the audience a chance to learn that. They're thinking, they might think it's a remake of the original Terminator. We need to show them it's different. So what did they do? They gave away that little plot point there. Idiot. Because they think we are idiots as film goers. Yeah. They think we're stupid. <sighs> well, thankfully I didn't see that. Yeah, I just wanted to bring that up because I thought that was very annoying. It would be like a movie trailer for Psycho, and you show Norman in the uh, in the mama wig with the knife. Yeah, like uh, we we want to make sure that they know that Norman Bates is the killer <laughs> and not an old woman, because no one wants to see an old woman killed right. or something. That's what they would do. They would ruin the film. Well, I I remember distinctly in 1962, my mama, my mother wanted me to go see Psycho with her, and I said, "What's it about?" She said, well, my girlfriend Jean went to see it, and she told me that there's this motel keeper who keeps his dead mother in a bathtub filled oh, with she, blood. What? She totally, first of all, she gave away a plot point, but also she got one wrong? <laughs> she she got enough of it wrong to where it didn't, it didn't bother any part of the, the enjoyment of the movie. Right. Because, number one, I knew that her friend Jean was an idiot. But he keeps his dead mother in a bathtub full of blood. Yeah, and so you were waiting for that the entire film, right? Well, I, you know, I could. You're surprised by the murder. That's that's the one thing because it comes really fast in the in the movie, and then you know you're thinking, well, maybe his mom gets killed. Maybe he kills his mom and then <laughs> keeps her in a bathtub or something. You know? Yeah. There's a. I'll, go ahead. Well, it's like when when uh, Laura told me a long time ago said you have to see the Sixth Sense, and I said, well, it says it has to be a twist ending, and I thought about it, thought about it. And the only twist I can think of is that the main character is dead, and she pauses and she looks at me and she says, "No, that's not it." I thought that too. I said, "Okay," so I. I thoroughly enjoyed the movie, and when it came down to the twist ending, it caught me by surprise because I'd already ruled that out. <laughs> yeah. So she saved it for me. Yeah, that was one of those films you hoped not to get spoiled before you saw it. I like that she unspoiled it for you. Yeah, yeah. You know what's funny? Some, sometimes when people uh, talk about films, it will drive me crazy witnessing it because they get hung up on details that aren't important yeah. or they will get hung up on an actor that they don't remember who it was. And I'm just like, you're just telling me what it's about, please. And I'll never forget that. Um, one time we were at with Sam, it was like one of those Sunday dinners where Sam took everybody out to eat. Right. Yeah. Sam Rosen. And they, uh, Sam and his wife ran into friends that they knew. There at the, uh, it was like that 50s diner type of place. Remember that? They yeah. Hamburgers and fries. It was like a 50s motif or something. Like and, the Purple Cow? Yeah, but it was lo farther back than then. Because. Uh, no, no. F way farther back in time than those. 
uh, Kincaid's is on Camp Bowie. No, this, uh, just never mind. We're getting hung up on a detail that's not good. <laughs> We're getting hung up on detail. <laughs> <laughs> so this will give you an idea of the time period. I could tell you the exact year because of the movie I'm going to bring up. Okay. Okay, they were like, oh, we just came from the movies. And they're like, oh, yeah, what'd you see? You know, Sam, you know, Sam wasn't into movies or whatever. He didn't care. But they're like, oh, the the, the one we saw the the movie, the uh, honey, honey, what, 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 what did we see? And he goes, oh, you know, the, the guy, the dead guy. And she goes, yes, yes, at the beach. We went to go see the beach movie. And Sam was like, oh, I'm not familiar with that. And I'm like sitting there at the table kind of looking at them and I'm like, wait, what film are they talking about? And they go, yeah, it's hilarious. The guy's dead the whole time. And they're like, oh, he's like a puppet or something. Oh, and it's really funny. It was like at the beach. Weekend at Bernie's. Yes. They were talking about Weekend at Bernie's. They had just come from the theater. They had just seen the movie. And they could not name the film. And it was right. <laughs> they were telling, talking to Sam. And they were like, what is it? And I so bad wanted to go, it's Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> No, shut the hell up! <laughs> but I couldn't believe that somebody could come from a theater and not know the mo- name of the movie they saw. But it was Weekend at Bernie's in 1989. All right. And <laughs> I'll always remember that. Because I, when I see the movie on TV or something, I go, oh, it's that one movie. It's uh, the, the beach movie. The... <laughs> The the dead guy at the beach. That's what it's called. He's a puppet. Yeah. Dead guy at the beach would have been a much better title. Yeah. Puppet at a beach. Yeah. But I, you know, we did this thing on the show for a while called Clueless Movie Guy. Where there's a line in Clerks where they talk about working at a video store. They hate when the guy comes up and he goes, do you have that one film with that one guy in it? (laughs) You know, they have no details to offer. And uh, we try to, you know, trip each other up, like, say, Terminator Genesis. Have you guys seen that film where it's like, okay, it's in the future and they go back in time to stop this other guy from killing the girl? Have you guys seen that? And you'd be like, oh, Terminator. Yeah, but it wasn't the first one. It was this one later on where she already knows the guy from the future is coming back to save her. And she saves him instead. You know. Yeah. You could totally play that game and drive each other insane. Sometimes someone will get too cryptic, though, and you get hung up. (laughs) Well, the same thing happened at Half Price Books. People come in to ask for a book. They don't know the author. They don't know the title, and they don't know what it's about. Oh, God. And they they need help, but they don't know? <laughs> yeah. They said, it's, it's got an old woman in it, and I think it takes place in the winter. I said, well, let's go over to the winter section and go down to the old woman show. And they said, okay. Uh, <laughs> do you just sigh, or do you just entertain yourself at that point? I entertain myself at their expense. <laughs> You're like, it's going to be a long day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I told you how many people came in asking for How to Kill a Mockingbird. That how was a favorite of ours. A Mockingbird. Now, I saw on Facebook that you actually read the first chapter of her book or something. Yes. yes. And it's good? It's wonderful. Let me what for what reasons do you think she never she waited this long to write another book? Because after To Kill a Mockingbird, she never wrote again, right? 
or at least she right. never published again. She she's probably been writing this whole time, but she never published. No, this this book was her original book. She sent it into the publisher. The editor read it and said, "Well, you've got an interesting character in here, and you mentioned her childhood. Why don't you just develop that? You know, rewrite the book and develop that." So she just started from scratch, and she used the character of Scout. From the time she's a little girl. Right. We're talking about Harper Lee, by the way. So Harper Lee. And so uh, this is unwittingly the sequel. It wasn't meant to be. It was meant to be the, the real book. Oh, wow, that's cool. Yeah. And so before she, before she died, she said, I, I don't want you to get in there and start flipping things around. Just, you know, correct any bad grammar or spelling, and just publish it the way it is. I'll say this. Uh, I thought the opening chapter to Kill a Mockingbird was one of the worst opening chapters I've ever read. It was just right. all over the map. Right. This one is a wonderfully written book. You can tell that she really spent a lot of time getting everything exactly right. That's cool. Okay. She's and, probably rewritten and, uh, several times, so, you know, drafts. Oh, Absolutely. And she was probably pissed off when she wrote To Kill a Mockingbird, kind of befuddled and like, what the hell does this woman want? Yeah. And I think she was so worn out from the experience of having to write the same book twice uh, that it just left a bad taste in her mouth. Well, and, the, can... and the way her book was such a success, it's like, you yeah. can imagine the fear of now writing yeah. another book and everybody says she'll never, she'll never write up to the level of To Kill a That's Mockingbird. Same saying, thing happened like... to Margaret Mitchell was gone with the wind. She only wrote that one book, and that was it. Yeah, when it takes off, which, you know, what a terrible problem to have. Am I right? Like, well, it's like uh, Orson Welles. His very first movie was the greatest movie ever made. Now what do you do? Yeah, yeah. So it's like, uh, well, it's a good thing Orson Welles didn't, you know, quit at that point. But uh, it is strange to not want to follow that up. <laughs> well, his second movie was a wonderful movie. It was really a fantastic movie. And he left for South America while it was in the editing stage, but he left behind his notes on how he wanted it edited. And the studio, which had lost so much money on Citizen Kane, they watched it and they saw how it was such a dark, bleak movie. And they said, we've got to get this a much better ending. So he, his whole movie is driving towards the end. Right. The end is the important part. Are you talking and about they the, they what, turned it inside out. What film are you talking about? Uh the the sequel not the sequel to Citizen Kane, his second movie. Uh which is uh Oh my The Magnificent Ambersons? Or Yes, thank you. Okay. Thank you. That's it. Wonderful movie. But they wouldn't let him how many uh, directors in time do you wish – I mean, it's kind of – it would drive you nuts. It's like alternate alternate universe, whereas if they just weren't interfered with when they were making their film, what would that film be like? You know what I mean? Yeah, no, no kidding. If they just no would have let them do what they wanted, it would have been like this. Uh, we, well, here, here's the difference. Uh, when they were, uh, when Steven Spielberg and a bunch of other people put their money in and they wanted to have a digital print of Lawrence of Arabia, 
They got every copy they could get from around the world and from studio, and they had an extra hour of film. And uh, David Lean was still alive, and uh, they were in editing stage, and he looked at the rough cut that they had, and he says, you got to take this out, take this out, take this out. And they said, wait, wait. <laughs> I mean, we found this footage, you know. It, it was. He says, and they said, look at this beautiful shot. He says, the movie's filled with beautiful shots. You, you have. You're telling a story here. Mm-hmm. So it's like, even Spielberg remarked to himself, "Oh, yeah, I'm getting all caught up in the legend. Yeah, you know, this is a legendary film. You know, uh, if you restore the film, all you've got is the stuff that he cut out because it's not what he wanted." Right, right. You have to honor the way the film, the finished product. You can't just yeah. add a bunch of stuff. Yeah, it's making it longer. It's not making it better. It's like, I don't know if you've ever seen the director's cut of Donnie Darko, but it sucks. The oh. theatrical version is perfect. Mm-hmm. The director's cut sucks. Yeah, I, be- I, be- I understand that. I... I- actually own it i've never watched it (laughs) i enjoyed the theatrical version uh james cameron's director's cuts are always fantastic he cut out stuff that would have been great in the film you know yeah yeah the director's cut of avatar is superior to the theatrical version of avatar i imagine yeah but like with donnie darko uh i saw an interview i forget who the director of it was but he said, when he finished his cut and he and he watched it, he said, this movie is not mysterious. So he took out explanation. Then he took out another explanation. You know, a talking head scene, Johnny the Explainer scene, until he was left with a really puzzling, mysterious enigma. And he says, all right, this is better. And he was right. Because if, if, if the audience goes in, they supply their own in between. Right, right. I still am But, not but if you sure. just tell them, if you just tell them there's nothing for the audience to do. You know, I'm still not sure what the hell's going on in that movie, but it is just like Terminator dealing with alternate universe, right? Yeah. Uh one universe this happened and the other universe this happened. Well, I like movies that have this crushing inevitability. Yeah. And the characters are struggling against it. Because it basically reflects the existential problem of human beings is that we're all going to die, and we're all trying to find ways to not die. You know, we invent religion, uh, we turn to science, uh, we go to health food, you know, whatever it is, uh, we're all struggling against an inevitability. And that's, you know, that, that really touches on a nerve. There's a lot at stake. Yeah. I we I think a lot about legacy. Like it would be great to leave behind a legacy, right? Yeah. Not just like children, but even your works of art or something. Like uh, like someone like uh, Harper Lee. She left behind uh, even you know she's still alive and she's about to publish her second book. But uh, to well, no, she died. Or... She died. Oh, she did die. Yeah, recently. Okay, so she doesn't know what anyone thought. She will never know what anyone thought of her second book, right? She won't, no, no. Which is unfortunate because you wonder if, or maybe she was like J.D. Salinger. She didn't want to (laughs) know. Yeah, could be. It very well be. I mean, 
Is there anything that would break your heart more than to finish something that you thought was the best thing you ever did and, you know, nobody cared? I know. Wait it's a like being the most beautiful flower in the world on a hill where no one lives. No one ever sees it. Let's see. I'm trying to look up her thing. Are, I don't think she's dead, Dad. It says I she's, think she is. She's 89. It says in February 2015 at 88, nearly blind and deaf after a 2007 stroke and a lifetime of maintaining that she would never publish another novel. She released a statement through her attorney confirming publication of her second ni- novel, Ghost Set a Watchman, set to be published uh, July 14th, written before To Killing Mockingbird. It doesn't say anything about her death. Well, that was in February. Uh, no, I mean, it, wouldn't this be up to date? No. Did you look on Wikipedia? Yeah. Are you reading from Wikipedia? Yes. Okay. All right. Well, all right. Let, You're no, probably I'm, right. No way. I'm looking but, up to see if she's dead. Yeah. Is this lady dead or what? <laughs> uh, you know, here's my thought on that. I don't think she wanted the book published. I think she's just dumb and blind and doesn't know what's going on. And oh, somebody's shit. lying. Oh, they no. see this book and they concocted an approval from her because they don't want that thing to be lost. And that's, you know, that's my cynical way of looking at it. I, I just found, found this article. It says, be suspicious of the new Harper Lee novel. So let me read this to you real quick. Okay. Two, two and a half months after the death, the death of Harper Lee's sister and lawyer and 55 years since the publication of To Kill a Mockingbird, Harper Collins has announced the summer release of Ghost Set a Watchman, the elusive author's second novel. According to the New York Times, Ghost Set a Watchman takes place 20 years after To Kill a Mockingbird. Though it's effectively a sequel, Ms. Lee actually wrote Ghost Set a Watchman first. We already know this. You've established this. The 304-page novel takes place in the same fictional town and unfolds as Scout Finch, the feisty child heroine of To Kill a Mockingbird, returns to visit her father Atticus. Okay, it's telling us nothing. Sadly, this news is not without controversy or complications, Harper Lee's sister, Alice Lee, who ferociously protected Harper Lee's estate and person from unwanted outside attention as a lawyer and advocate for decades, passed away late last year, leaving the intensely private author, who herself is reportedly in ill health, vulnerable to people who may not have her best interests at heart. So it sounds like they... Somebody talked her into publishing this book after her sister died and couldn't protect her anymore, right? Yep. It says that the at the uh, Tanya Carter, Harper Lee's attorney, since Alice Lee retired at the age of 100, acknowledges that the author, who was left forgetful and blind, nearly blind and deaf after a stroke often doesn't understand contracts that she signs. Lee has a history of signing whatever's put in front of her, apparently sometimes with Carter's advice. The, the existence yep. of Ghost Set a Watchman was unknown until recently, and its discovery is an extraordinary gift, said Harper Collins publisher Jonathan Burnham. Yes, they left off to us. Yeah, it says, but was the gift willingly given? <laughs> After yeah. much thought and hesitation, I shared it 
with a handful of people I trust and was pleased to hear that they considered it worthy of publication, Lee said in a statement of her own. I am humbled amazed that this will now be published after all these years. Yeah. Okay. Just sign this statement I typed up for you, Harper. <laughs> yeah. That, that sounds surprisingly lucid and articulate. Yes. So let me ask you this. The book comes out. We feel guilty reading it now, wondering if she was manipulated into publishing a book that she might not have otherwise wanted seen by people. Hell no. No? No. Do you think it's uh, books come out of you for a reason? They need to be read, right? I think they come out of you for a reason. I don't know. Uh, it has a separate existence. Once you finish it, it's not your book anymore. Interesting. Like it's like it's like a bowel movement. You know, you had this wonderful meal you enjoyed with your friends. It goes into your body. It, it, it neutrifies you, and then <laughs> the shit comes out. And you flush it, and it goes into the rivers and streams, and people drink it. Um. Yeah. Okay. I'm not. You see what I'm saying? Uh. Yeah. People I... drink your people drink our shit and our piss all the time. Uh, exactly. Yes. That's a beautiful exactly. thought, Dad. Incredible. And disturbing. So. So I mean, would you try to control your poop? No, it's got. No, I mean it. It was your poop, right? You paid for the meal. Mm Hmm. So, like, oh, an author author writes the book, and the book is their poop. You know how J.D. Salinger, like, let me ask you this, because I've thought of this in some ways. He wrote several works, several books that he didn't want published in his lifetime. He wanted to wait until wait till he died. Apparently. Unless, again, that's somebody saying, yeah, yeah, he wanted these published after he passed away, and they're lying, and they just want the books put out there, you know? Yeah. Um, Is it cowardly to not want to publish your books that people want to read, and you don't want anyone to see them for fear of what they'll say? Or is it just some kind of weird psychological block or something? I think that if you have... All right. You know what a... uh... I'm trying to think of the name of the curve. Where you you plot things on this curve. I can't think of the name of the curve. A grading curve, learning curve. Uh... Uh, let's pretend we know the name of this curve. Anyway, you can plot anything out on the curve, and you know it goes up and a hump, and it comes down. Now, on on the flat side, like if you did IQ. You'd start off with imbeciles, idiots, morons, and then it starts to go up. Uh, you know, average people, above average people, you know, and uh, right. the thing is, the the extreme ends, the flat ends, are, are the idiots on the one end, the geniuses are on the other, but the average person is in the middle. Right. Okay, a genius is a quirk, is a misfit, is a mistake, genetic mistake. If you have a musical genius, if you have artistic genius, uh, as a writer, a chess player, a mathematician, you're a misfit, you're a nerd, you know? And there's some part of you that doesn't want to be like that. You want to be like everybody else, and you're trying trying to fit in. But your genius keeps you from it, because it makes you different. So I don't think we can trust what people think about their 
their genius or the the products that their genius produces because right. they can't help it. Like um, J.D. Salinger, he wrote this book that totally exploded, just you know, kind of like To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah. But yeah. he was so reclusive, he didn't want any attention that people became more obsessed with him. Like, we've got to know more about this guy, right? But, it, I mean, I've seen the documentary on him. The guy was so uptight <laughs> yeah. with what people said yeah. about him that he had to and, go to seclusion. And, and he was, I won't say he's nuts, but he's hes not the nicest guy in the world. Yeah, he's uh, eccentric. Yeah. And... He may think that he doesn't want his books read by anyone, but somebody needed to tell him, yes, you do. You're a writer. You just put it out there. Do you think Stephen King reads reviews of his books anymore? I don't. I don't think he needs to. I don't think he cares. He just keeps writing new books. The guy should have just put the stuff out there. But we got to think that this was also a time before the Internet and stuff that people read voraciously. Or yeah. they uh, went to the movies or whatever. It, it was different. There was more attention on, uh, you know, it's just different. I, I don't know. I wasn't alive then. Well, what am I talking well, about? Uh, all right. Socially, socially speaking, uh, the, the time we live in now, everybody's opinion is out there on Twitter. Uh huh. And if a consensus of the idiot comes up with an idea about a work of art, it can kill it for everybody else. Right. Because they don't understand it. They get it wrong or they have prejudice and they, they poison the well and nobody wants to drink from it. Back yeah. before the internet, you had much less of that, a whole lot less than that. People depended on reading magazine articles or newspapers or if they belonged to a, some kind of social club, you know, they, they could have conversations. But yeah. there's nothing like that anymore. I mean, people don't read newspapers. They look at the pictures in magazines. And if you want to know what, what something is, you look it up on Wikipedia. Yeah. So everything predigested food. So I don't think that authors are the best judge of what they put out or what should happen to it. Mm-hmm. Look at Van Gogh. You know, he, he never sold a painting. His brother sold one painting for the equivalent of $10. If it hadn't have been for his brother's wife after his brother died, nobody would ever have heard of Van Gogh or seen any of his paintings. But she was a go-getter, a real entrepreneur. Wow. So I think genius is a mistake. It's nature's mistake. And very few people appreciate what genius is. And I really... I don't think people's opinions about genius are important because you have to be a genius to understand a genius. What you mean is their works are important, but what they think about those works, whatever's yeah. holding them up, doesn't matter. Yeah. So yeah, there have been there have been artists, uh, you know, who burn their own work. Right, right. They, they burn burn their sketches. You know, who was that? The that one uh, artist, uh, crap. Uh, Gary Oldman made a movie about him. I can't remember his name. Oh, Madonna. There was an interview with Madonna where she dated this artist, right? And this incredible paintings and stuff. Basquiat. Have you ever heard of him? Yeah, sure. He wanted his paintings back from her when they broke up. 
and she wanted to keep them. They were beautiful gestures and everything like that. She would totally cherish them and protect them. But she gave them back reluctantly. And what did he do? He destroyed all of them to spite her. Sure. They were his own works of art. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like uh, she when there's a, him from himself, there's a, a killing in a black section of town and it's a white cop. What do they do? They burn down all the businesses in their neighborhood. Right. It's the same kind of thing. Well, yeah, we're talking about irrational human beings now. Yeah, irrational <laughs> behavior. Right. It has nothing to do with the thing it's supposed to be about. So basically, Harper Lee, she, I'm going to guess that when she was lucid after To Kill a Mockingbird, she was like, well, hell, I don't ever want to publish my other book. What if they don't like it as much or whatever? Well, it was her rejected book that caused To Kill a Mockingbird to be written. Right. But. So if she published, if she published the book that was rejected, you know, it's almost maybe to her an insult. To the subsequent work, they're not supposed to ex- exist in the same timeline. Uh huh. So now that she's old and apparently nearly blind and deaf, someone took it upon themselves to, you know, people need to read this book. I don't care what she's saying. I, I think so. Very think interesting. So. I've never read To Kill a Mockingbird. I've never read How to Kill a Mockingbird. <laughs> Well, I tell you what, watch the movie and it'll make you want to read the book. And the book is so much better. The, really? the movie is a masterpiece, but the book is so much better. But you, I don't think you'll appreciate the book as much if you just read the book. Very interesting. So you'll be the first one in line to buy the book when it comes out? Uh, I can get it online with Reese Witherspoon reading it. If you, go, if you click on that uh, link I, I sent... Yeah, Reese Witherspoon reads the first chapter to you. Right. And she does a wonderful job. And no doubt it will be made into a film, too. Oh, of course. <laughs> Very interesting. So this conversation started out as Terminator, but somehow yeah. wound yeah. up to uh, Harper Lee. But uh, still, it's an interesting thing. It's, you know? it's just proof, proof what intellectual giants we are. <laughs> so you're giving thumbs up to Terminator Genesis. I am, and I'm about to write something on Facebook about it. Was it in a tiny theater already, or was it in a... Oh, you wouldn't believe what they've done to the Rave. They put in the most incredible seats Oh, I've, I've ever sat in. They're automatic seats. They're cushy. They're, they're like leather seats. They're like a leather couch. You sit in it. You push a button. And it turns into a recliner with your feet up. Nice. It's the most comfortable thing your butt will ever experience. Fantastic. I thought you were going to say something bad, but it's something good. No. No. Wonderful. And this wasn't even the big screen. I mean, the you know, the major screen, the giant screen. Right. Yeah. Uh, when I When we went to see it Saturday night... Or Sunday, we actually saw it on Sunday. It wasn't in the XD theater; it was in a small yeah. theater. And I was like, "What the hell is this? It just came yeah. out. It's a blockbuster action movie. It should be in the big yeah. theater." 
But uh, it what I guess they maybe they go by whatever's tracking interest that weekend. Like they have, it's like Minority Report. They have people who are psychic and can tell you what yes, you're going to yes, do. Yes, they do. The critics, <laughs> they're psychic. Yeah. So they decided, no, no, that's not going to be in the big theater. Well, did you notice Minority Report is now going to be a TV series? Yeah, yeah. Okay. They running. How do you like ideas? the tra- do you like the trailer to the new Mission Impossible? Looks fun. Those movies always yeah. look fun. Who directed? Huh? Who directed? Uh, the same guy who did. Um, the same man who directed. Uh, Jack Reacher. Oh, okay. All right. Did you ever watch Jack Reacher? Yes. Yes, I did. Christopher McQuarrie. What did you say? Christopher McQuarrie directs it. Yeah. What did you say? Jack Reacher. Well, I'd already been told by you and Bill that it's nothing like the books. You know, the yeah. books are better. So I was like, okay, let me just see if the movie entertains me. And I thought it, it's interesting how kind of small the story is in a way. It's not like a big uh, take over the world kind of story. You know what I mean? But it's... uh a mystery and he's a badass and he kind of solves it. It kind of makes you want to see more from, of Jack Reacher, you know, but do you, you, do you still stand by that, that the books are way better? The thing is, is the physicality, the six foot five Jack Reacher is a different creature, completely different creature than, than Tom Cruise. So it can't be the same character. Right. The physicality, physicality is important. See, it's not, it's not like uh, they made him a black man, or they turned it from a man to a woman. Yeah. Jack Reacher is six feet five. He's he's like a physical giant, and uh, he and and he has all these quirks. And so, once you get to know the literary character, it's built in. To the story, because you you know who you're dealing with. When when uh, Tom Cruise introduces this character, he he's introducing him differently. So I don't. I, it's like uh, okay, I'll give you a good example. Sean Connery was James Bond. All those other guys, they're they're playing the role of James Bond, but none of them are James Bond. Right. So it's like I'm watching a different. I'm I'm watching a different thing called the same thing. Right. It's also like if you're li- if you cast literally what the book says, you would never have gotten Sean Connery, would you have? If you would have uh, by, no, no. Ian Fleming, uh, how he described you would have got, James Bond. You would have gotten David Niven or Noel Coward. Mm-hmm. But instead, you just go who's good for the part, someone who's got <clears throat> charisma, etc. Well, they they interviewed every star in England and in Hollywood. Yeah. And the producer, Harry Saltzman, uh, was in a movie, and uh, it was a, a Disney movie with his wife. And uh, they went to see Darby O'Gill and the Little People. And his wife said, that guy who played, uh, who played this character, he would be perfect for James Bond. And uh, her husband said, him? Why? <laughs> because he's very very sexy. And so he listened to that 
and he he called uh, Sean Connery's agent, and Connery showed up and he pounded on the table with his fist, and he was very forceful. And then when he left, they watched him walking down the street, and he moved like a cat. And they says, "That's our guy," because he was a, like a physical beast. Yeah. Dominating guy. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of like <clears throat> Jack Reacher is a guy who lives off the grid. He doesn't care what he wears. He he doesn't carry a suitcase. He only carries a billfold. And he he gets his money by going to an ATM machine and uh it's his pension from the army. That's what he lives off of. And he just travels on a bus. He stays in a flop house. When his clothes are dirty, he throws them away and he buys more clothes. And he just goes from place to place. And his favorite thing to do is to go to a coffee shop and order a cup of coffee. And he evaluates the coffee. And he's, you know, there's a certain kind of cup he likes and a certain kind of coffee. And he just observes people. And invariably, he will see something or someone that maybe has a problem or is in trouble or there's a curiosity about it. And he ends up getting involved kind of like the equalizer. Right. So he's a knight errant. He's a guy who's setting things straight and he has, he has some mad skills. He, he knows every dirty fighting technique there is. And, and he specializes in the head, but, <laughs> but the thing you run into in every book, he takes on four guys at once in a fist fight, and always beats the hell out of them. You, in fact, you look forward to that in every book. Right. You always just want somebody to mess with them so he can kick their ass. And he- That's right, and, and they always underestimate him to their peril. Excellent. So yeah. with, a, with a guy like that, see, he's laid back. Right. Tom, Tom Cruise was rather intense. But I liked I liked uh, Tom Cruise's Jack Reacher as as another character. Yeah, yeah. You just uh, he's an alternate universe Jack Reacher. There you go. Yeah, he's a different different universe version. The, the same. I don't know if you noticed this. It was everywhere. But they're going to make a Han Solo standalone film where he was younger, right? Oh, oh joy! Which. Uh, People already posting. Who's here's who I think should be Han Solo, and it was driving me nuts. Like, first of all, you you don't know what age Han Solo is going to be in their film. <laughs> he could be thirty, he could be twenty five, or whatever. Stop just throwing these names out there. But uh, I don't envy any casting director that would need to cast a young Han Solo. You know what I mean? It just seems like it'd be a hard. I've got the perfect guy. Who would that be? Aiden Christensen. Oh, Jesus. He was Anakin Skywalker, Dad. You cannot have somebody who was already in a Star Wars movie. <laughs> I think they should bring Hayden Christensen back to play Obi-Wan. <laughs> oh, you liked him that much, did you? Because he can play anything. I mean, he's just one of those actors. He just he buries himself in the role, and you can't even see Hayden Christensen anymore. Yeah, yeah, he disappears into the role. Yeah, he sure does. Yeah, I'm I should, not... I should say his his acting disappears. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He just loses himself in the role. <laughs> but you know, 
Han Solo is one of the most boring characters I've ever seen in a film. Really? Yeah. Why I think that? it has to do with Harrison Ford, who's one of the most boring actors I've ever seen. Well, you, I don't know. I when I, you know, of course, I was a young child when I saw Star Wars, so I uh, admired Han Solo. He's a scoundrel, you know. He's a smuggler. He's suave. He doesn't seem very bright to me. Oh, you mean Han Solo? He's kind of a dummy. He's not stupid, but he's more like a truck driver. <laughs> Okay. I mean, basically, that's what he does. He's a smuggler, right? He's a truck yeah. driver. Well, what's interesting in uh, he's a truck driver. He's a moonshine runner. Uh, and yeah, I mean, he, he's the, a good old boy. He could be in Dukes of Hazard. In Return of the Jedi, the way Harrison Ford plays him is kind of a dummy at times. Like, wait, your brother? Oh, <laughs> but no, I yeah. love Han Solo. I, I mean. I don't know. I mean, I wanted to be Luke, but I loved Han Solo. I think I went for the music. I never wanted to be Hayden Christensen, though. I'll tell you that much. Oh, you fool. (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, hey, Dad, we've been talking for an hour. I should probably let you go. Uh, But thank you so much for talking to me about Terminator. This will be a patron-only episode of Entertainment Landfill. Right. What I'm calling them is patron exclusive. <laughs> so this will be okay. I hope hope you don't lose any subscribers. <laughs> no, they will love it. They may disagree okay. with your thoughts on Han Solo, but I think they're very entertaining. Okay. But uh, thanks for talking to me, Dad. My pleasure. And I'll talk to you later. Okay. All right. Bye bye. Bye. All right, guys. That was my talk with my dad. We talked about all sorts of things. Terminator Genesis, Harper Lee, Han Solo, uh, and all that kind of stuff. Jack Reacher. I can't even remember everything we talked about. But it was fun, and I hope you enjoyed it. This was for you patrons, people who support Entertainment Landfill. I'm going to be giving you these exclusive shows on a regular basis. I hope you enjoy them. Nobody else can hear these but you. Thank you so much for supporting Entertainment Landfill. I love you guys. You're the reason I do this show. You're important to me. And the show is important to me. And I just want to give you guys something special. So I hope you guys dig it. And shoot me a line if you guys want to hear anything specific. But uh, we're going to keep doing these. Just I'm going to hit record. And we're going to talk about whatever. And I hope it's entertaining to you guys. So thank you so much. And you guys get out there and watch some TV. Some uh, See some movies, read some books, play some video games. All right, guys, thanks a lot. Laters. No reward is worth this. Now this is podcasting.